Hello, and welcome to Our Savior Lutheran Church Sermons. I'm Pastor Joshua Curtinback. Today is the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. The Holy Gospel reading according to St. Mark is from the 10th chapter. Pharisees came up in order to test Jesus and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they are bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter it. And he took them into his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, among the Jewish people there were two main ways of looking at divorce. One came from the school of Shammai, which said that a man could only divorce his wife if she committed adultery or broke some other moral law, and thus became shameful in his sight. The other came from the school of Hillel, a rival group, which said that a man could divorce his wife for any reason, even because she served him a burnt meal. At the time of our gospel reading this morning, some Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Our Lord, seeing their trap, does not let them take a side in this debate, but goes to the source of the discussion, saying, What did Moses command you? The Pharisees, then, cannot speak of Shammai or Hillel's opinions, but must go back to Moses, through whom the Lord gave the law. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. The Jewish people had wrongfully interpreted the words of Deuteronomy where Moses permits divorce. They had, for many generations, used it as an excuse to be free and liberal with divorce, as evidenced by the thoughts of the school of Hillel. They thought that Moses was not only giving permission, but sanctioning divorce. This was such a problem that 500 years earlier, the prophet Malachi said, The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one, with a portion of the Spirit in their union? So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. Our Lord Jesus corrects the Pharisees' false beliefs about this, and says nothing different than what Malachi did before him. He's only more explicit. The commandment on divorce in Deuteronomy only existed because of the hardness of their hearts. Divorce was not sanctioned, it was not approved, it was not authorized or commanded. It was merely tolerated. It was a part of the civil law of the nation of Israel. It was meant to limit harm, to protect a woman who might be abandoned and cast off by her husband. The law given by Moses was a civil law because of their sinfulness. 
It was not because divorce was acceptable in God's sight. Our Lord Jesus then moves the eyes of the Pharisees from the civil law to the nation of Israel, from the civil law given to the nation of Israel, which was passing away, to the eternal moral law of God, by bringing their attention to the place where God instituted marriage in order that God's intent for it might be clearly shown. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. It is God who created marriage, God who blesses it. It is he who joins together a man and woman as husband and wife. Later, when his disciples ask him to clarify, he says that in no uncertain terms, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The Lord makes it clear that it's not just a civil matter, but God's divine and eternal law. Husband and wife have been joined together by God. This relationship is important and sacred. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Our Lord holds marriage in high esteem like this for two reasons. One, it's in accordance with his will, because it's a relationship of love and service. Two, it's a sacred mystery which he founded at creation in order that it would not only be present among his people, but among all people. A mystery which has now been revealed to us in these last days as being about Christ and his church. And while it is about Christ and the church, it can be seen as a reflection also of the relationship between Christ and the soul of the believer. It is with these mysteries that we will be focusing on this morning. The marriage of Christ and the soul is a picture used in, by some in order to explain and highlight justification and union with Christ. For by nature, after the fall into sin by our first parents, we and our souls are stained by original sin, which works within the hearts of mankind to produce all sorts of other sin within us. Because of this, nothing but sin and shame and death belong to us. However, when we come to faith, when we come to trust in the promises of our Lord Jesus Christ and apprehend him by faith, there's something like a marriage between Christ and the soul. For just as in a marriage, all that belongs to the bride becomes the bridegroom's, and all that belongs to the bridegroom becomes the bride's, so too there is here a great and sweet exchange. All that is ours, our sin, our shame, and our death becomes his. He takes these away from us because he has dealt with them on the cross when he bore the sins of the world and suffered in our place in order to overcome and defeat sin, death, and the devil. When we apprehend our Lord in faith, he removes these from us, appropriating them for himself where they are done away with. Then he gives to us all that is his, righteousness, salvation, and life. These are given to the one who trusts in him, so that all that is ours is his, and all that is his is ours by grace. He unites himself to us, and he makes his home in us, giving us his Holy Spirit, so we become his temple. And so, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, nothing at all. Even though we face trials and tribulations in this life, as it is right, for so did our Lord, nothing shall separate us from him. Through all these, faith clings to him as an anchor. Faith hides us in his wounds as the dove hides in the clefts of the rock, so that we may trust in him more and more because of all that he has done for us. Knowing this, we may go out and love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through our neighbor and our brothers and sisters in the faith. For within them he has hidden himself, so that whatever you do for the least of these his brothers you have done to him. 
The love which he himself has poured out into our hearts we cannot help but to pour out to others as it overflows into acts of charity and kindness to others. But marriage does not only act as a picture and type of the relationship between Christ and the soul, it is also and primarily a type of Christ in the church. St. Paul in the fifth chapter of Ephesians quotes the same verse as our Lord did in the gospel saying, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The Revelation also uses this language referring to Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride of Christ. On earth, the church is found in the congregation of saints, in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered. More fully, it is the whole of those who believe in Jesus Christ in all times and all places. And all that this came about in a way that mirrors the way which our Lord first instituted marriage by creating Eve and presenting her to Adam, as we heard in the Old Testament lesson. In order to create Eve, the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall upon the man. Likewise, because all who make up the church are by nature sinful and unclean, and by their own reason or strength cannot believe in Jesus Christ or come to him, he must first go into the deep sleep of death on the cross in order to atone for the sins of the world. The bride of Christ could do nothing to come to him, and so he died that he might bring her to himself. In Eden, while Adam slept, the Lord God took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that he had taken from the man he made into a woman. So too, the church, the bride of Christ, is made from Jesus' side in his death. For when he died, the centurion pierced his side with a spear, and out of it poured forth two streams, one of water and one of blood. Thus the church is taken from his side by means of water and blood. For she is made up of those who have been cleansed by water and by word and the sacrament of holy baptism. As St. Paul writes, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The stream of blood which came from his side is the blood of the New Testament, which he poured out for the forgiveness of sins on the altar of the cross. Today, for the church, he pours out this same blood into the chalice and gives his true body to eat and drink in the sacrament of the altar for the forgiveness of sins. Those who partake in this heavenly food and drink, believing in his words, receive his benefits, are strengthened in their faith and love, and enjoy union with him as he purifies and sanctifies them. This he gives to you out of his love for you. This he gives to his church, so that on the last day, just as Eve was presented to Adam, he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Marriage all the way back from when God first instituted it, points us to this. Is there any doubt why our Lord calls on those who share his name, who are called Christians because they share in Christ, are called to remain faithful to their spouse? Is it any doubt why they are called to refrain from divorce, which is cutting oneself off from their own flesh? It is because Christ is faithful. He is not a faithless bridegroom, but eternally faithful loving his bride, the church, to the point of death, even death on the cross. He likewise does not leave us forsake or forsake us, because he has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. This promise he made to you in your baptism, when he cleansed you and you were counted as his. Thanks be to God, for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself into death for us, and continues to give of himself, that we may be wholly his. May the Father preserve us evermore by his grace in Christ Jesus, that we may join him at the wedding feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. Amen.
Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.